product innovation show with your guest host, Sergey Ross. I'm here with Ido Gerson, who is a product manager of privacy and security at Circle CI. It's a software delivery engine for teams who want to ship software faster and with more confidence. Ido, pleasure to have you. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Awesome to be here. What are you excited for about right now? Could be personal, professional. What's going on in your life that is, uh, that is cool? Yeah, what am I excited about? Um, I'm training for a big bike ride in July. It's called the Death Ride. It's, oh, uh, really? Yeah, so <clears throat> it's a 100-miler, it's a but it has a lot of elevation gain, 15,000 feet of elevation gain, and it takes place up in the, the California uh, Sierra Mountains. And uh, so this is going to be my fourth time attempting it. So, you know, fourth time's the charm. Wow. So that's that's like a road bike or mountain bike. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's a it's a road bike. It's it's all on the roads, but it's in the like the mountains. Yeah. So Yeah, first time like, I failed. So, uh, yeah. And then second time was canceled for COVID. Third time there was a fire, and then this is the fourth time. Yeah, well, fourth time it is. Well, how do you is it one day or is it yeah. like stage? not a stage it's it's one day and so i think that you start at 5 30 in the morning and and then you just bike and they have aid stations but you just bike and there's checkpoints and if you don't hit the checkpoints at certain times then they stop you but you could be biking from 5 30 in the morning till 7 at night so i'm hoping to get it done in 10 to 12 hours so it's i'm, I'm training for that long. Long day in the office. Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm training. I'm really well trained. I'm gonna try to make it look easy. I just a nice uh, jaunt in the mountains on a bike. That's, That's that. I love biking. I, I'm more into cross country uh, mountain biking, but uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for everybody who does road because road is so much harder in many ways. Like the resilience that you need to have to keep doing it for many hours, and also elevation and it's stiff on the bike for that long yeah yeah so i think i think mountain biking is harder because um like you fall off the bike more and there's just more chance for get it to get injured yeah it's shorter though for a race like if you do a cross-country race is 30 40 well sometimes it's 50 kilometers but the race is shorter because your concentration is so high to not uh, get right. your get yourself killed <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Huh. That's interesting. All it right. Is. Yeah. But anyway, now, let's let's yeah. go back. Let's go back to to product uh, as we wanted to discuss it uh, in the first place. Now, I want to talk about biases, decision-making biases. We spent some time talking with you a little bit about it the last time when we look at those advices in product. What are some of the ones that come to mind uh, immediately for you? Yeah, you know, um I mean, first, yeah, we did we did talk about bias, and it's interesting. I think that everyone is kind of trained when you hear the word bias to sort of be like, I don't want to have any bias, right? Um, but I think that bias against people is really bad. But having a sort of product bias, it like maybe it's bad, but maybe it's kind of product sense at the same time, or it's style. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure if bias is necessarily bad. I think that holding on to bias 
that's that's for sure yeah. kind of a, a bad thing but um yeah i guess for me um like what my product biases are uh and you researched you you just were showing me the book before we started rolling um was there yeah. something that was there something that, that surfaced up for you recently about the bias or just even the way that you think about it yeah so i mean i think it comes up all the time uh like i'm working on a feature now and we have some very real trade-offs that have to be made around uh do we want to go to the market quickly and get feedback or do we want to sort of ship a more fully fledged fleshed out version uh, i think that there's kind of well there's always a trade-off right like do you just get it to barely work and get that out even though you know that there's flaws or do you yeah do you, do you build it out and then delight the customer do you that, how, what's what's the approach going to be? Um, personally, I I like to I, I bias more towards getting it to to work in some fashion, just barely, and then getting out to customers because I feel like uh, I feel like there's some unpredictability, right? That you don't really know how people are going to react to it. But um, I think that. Uh, it's tough. Like in the in the SaaS space where I'm operating at, sometimes you have customers that are paying a lot of money to use your product, and right. you don't really want to release something which is rough, right? Like it definitely has to work. It has to not have bugs in it. But even if it's rough, then they could be disappointed. Like why are we spending a million dollars a year and then you're releasing this crap they might say yeah unless you manage the expectation saying listen this is very very early we are doing this super early pilot and just expect some some turbulence <laughs> yeah yeah so i think that part of it is picking out the right partners for a beta test or how however you want to do it um but then also part of it is getting making sure that the the whole team is aligned around hey if if things are found then you have to quickly fix it you know the whole agile process um, so everything everything has to kind of be lined up that way and then it can work out but even internally um, I'm having discussions now and that I get a lot of pressure around hey you really need to make sure that this thing is a very polished experience um, you know needs to be an 11 star experience right um and uh, all of that is all of that makes sense but it's just it's kind of trade-offs and, and i think that maybe one way of thinking about biases is just what you know what trade-offs you're, you're making or, or where where on the trade-off spectrum you just kind of land for for some dimension but then they have the deadline, right? They want this to be done in that amount of time, which of course is not enough most of the time for that 11 star. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the issue. Um, that yeah, there's always uh, timelines. You need to get things out as fast as possible, or or show progress, uh, that type of stuff. Um, so yeah, just kind of kind of like navigating your way through that. Um, yeah, it's always difficult. I don't know. The The way that I try to navigate it is um, 
I feel like there's just a huge amount of uncertainty around plans. And I think that having a very high level vision makes a lot of sense, but having an extremely detailed plan that stretches out for, let's say six months, like first I'm gonna work on this, then I'm gonna work on this. Uh, once things get in, in, the, in the real world in the hands of customers, um, plans always change. Like Mike Tyson says, every, everybody's- I was gonna uh, say. Plan. Yeah, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Uh, it says right there. Oh, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> it's so, so true, but also, um, Ida, in terms of like making that decision on, well, do I s really something that is far from being polished versus a little bit more polished? This is also part of a company style or part of the philosophy within the company uh, of how yeah. what they're comfortable with putting out of the door, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so there's, there's that also. Um, I think working with designers is something that it honestly hasn't come naturally for me, um, working with designers and making sure that the relationship is really good. Um, I think I'm, I'm a lot better at it now. Um, but I'm, I'm actually more willing to let the designers just go ahead and design and not let my particular UI sensibilities kind of take control. Um, Get in the way. My U, my, yeah, my UI sensibilities, I really like Craigslist. I think that Craigslist is like the best website. Um, and so probably if I was designing everything, it, everything would just look like Craigslist, like hyper-functional, really fast, but just text and that's it. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've had to sort of learn to, to recognize that. And I don't, I don't know why, but most people don't like Craigslist type apps <laughs> yeah they're they're more like an old school type of uh it's like an old amazon website that we all i personally loved in a way that there's not much eye candy or hardly any uh type right. of elements it's just like hardcore bam 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 fast and everything's fast yeah you click on things everything's really fast um and that's that's the way i like it but um yeah like and so that's that's my bias, right? Circling back to bias, but yeah, you know, like the each company they have their design library, right? And uh, then they have designers who they have they're hired because they can do a better job of UX and UI than what I can do. And it's it's been like I've had to learn that my job, like when when there's designers on the team, my job isn't to actually do any of the design; it's to you know, gather the requirements, understand uh, the contours of what's possible with the solution, and then relay that over to the designers and work with them to make sure that what they're building is technically possible, meets the meets the pain points, the, the use cases, that type of stuff. Uh, but it, which it's is, difficult, though, right? Like, it's difficult, though, when you have... Uh, a certain design language uh, perspective or preference, like uh, at Apple's skeuomorphic design, uh, Scott Forstall's team, uh, including Steve Jobs, was fighting hard until, unfortunately, until obviously Steve passed away in 2011. And then Johnny mm -hmm. with their flat look won. And it's hard to, when designers come with completely different 
version of it's a philo design philosophy, not necessarily single elements, or that could be a case too. And then it's like, oh, that that's probably quite far off what we what you wanted. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that having you know, there's there's kind of like a pod structure. Like a lot of times, there's like the product manager, the designer, data analyst, engineers. Um, so within a pod, uh, I think that having really good relationship with your designer is super important. And if you're able to have a good relationship, then everything can flow really well. And maybe they, maybe you want skeuomorphic, and then they come up with flat or, or something like that, and and you can kind of navigate that. But um, if you if you're working with a designer, I wouldn't say a bad designer, but an in like yeah. a designer that you don't really get along with, it's like being in a bad marriage. <laughs> and totally. Can, yeah. I've I've had that experience too. Um and it's it really messes up projects in, in like a terrible way if the PM, the designer are not kind of on the same page with things. Um and that's definitely happened, right? Sometimes I'll be like, okay can I just wireframe this? And then you just make the mock up and you know, cause we have to, we have to move on. Um, but that actually, um, yeah, designers really hate that. But, but it's, I, I agree with you. I, um, as a marketer, I've worked with designers who are super easy to get along with the ones and then the ones that are really difficult in, and I would say, like you said, when you are getting along with a person, it is so much easier because uh, then you are working together. You could come up with something. They're like, oh, I love this idea. Let me take that uh, concept or something really yeah. rough that you came up with and work on it. Uh, and or they came up with something and you're like, listen, this doesn't work. They they're so OK to scrap the whole thing and do something mm -hmm. else versus with a different designer. They might be great, but it's always a fight. There's always a subtle fight or more yeah. obvious fight. And it's just like that. It's just a different philosophy or different values that you have. Uh, but then it just com it completely stalls the whole effort. Yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And and for some reason, I think that uh, for me anyway, it can be a little bit harder to navigate that PM designer relationship than let's say the PM engineer relationship uh, because there's just more. Um, vagueness or ambiguity you know like there's less there's less logic i guess with with design um and it's just more a matter of style and yeah i don't know is is it is interesting uh but, but you, yeah like I've, you, I've, I've, uh, I've had to learn to yeah let go i guess sometimes yeah that's true that's something that you know let let's uh let these guys come up with it, it i think over time uh, you just uh find ways to pick fights that make sense versus the ones that right. just guys just go ahead and, and if you want this and do whatever you want and, and we'll, we'll work on something else. Yeah. As long as, as long as it's reasonable. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What do you, if you were to pick one of the worst features or most difficult features you have to work on, what, what are the ones that come to mind just throughout the whole, uh, uh, career as, as a product product manager yeah the worst features um yeah i think I when think... we when we spoke the first time i think you mentioned uh it was a horoscope app wasn't it that was um that was kind of the best that was my favorite yeah 
astrology was really good because um, it was so simple and I got to spend a lot of time. Uh, a lot of times there's just a very busy roadmap where you have to do feature, 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 feature to make the stakeholders happy and you never get a chance to go back and iterate. And with the Horoscopes app, uh, which it was, it was probably my most successful app I ever worked on, um, it was just three screens. And mm. I got to spend a lot of time actually iterating on those screens and making the whole experience really smooth. I think that we spent six months or nine months just on three screens, you know, doing testing and that type of stuff. And it was really nice to get to that really polished experience. I think the worst, the worst products or features that I've had to work on, I'm actually working on something right now, which I find extremely challenging. Um, mm. I do a little bit of consulting and in the project that I'm doing now, there's a lot of stakeholders. Okay, so there's a lot of stakeholders, and yeah. there's there's a there's not one particular process that the business has. Like every single person has a different process that they use to go through a workflow, and they they manage it on spreadsheets. So you ask different people, like, how do you achieve? how do you achieve the result that you want? And then they're like, well, I go to the spreadsheet and there's 12,000 items on it. And I do this, this, and this. And they're very opinionated about it. And then you talk to the next person and then they're extremely opinionated, but they achieve results in a completely different way. Um, so that that's really challenging. Um, and then the mock-ups were done before any requirements gathering and so wow okay yeah so there's there's a bunch of mock-ups and like i kind of got brought in as like okay we have the mock-ups and go ahead and make the um make the prd and let's you know the engineers are, are waiting let's go let's get this done and like um yeah i found i found that really challenging because it's like i have to look at the mock-ups and kind of infer what the intent of it was and but then each but then when i talk to the stakeholders they all have different um different ideas as to what the thing is supposed to do so i think that that's the and that that has happened before also and i, I find that how did really you challenging uh, you know how do you find uh, these guys approach customers like when you they when you walked into it like how much customer data, customer information you have to say, to even be able to help? Yeah, that's that's really the problem that I don't think that they did uh, the appropriate level of discovery. And, you know, you have to, you have to spend time with the customers to really understand what their pain points or problems are, right? Um, so you have to spend time, that's not a necessary, that's a necessary, but not sufficient and then uh, you have to synthesize that uh, feedback. And I think that synthesizing the feedback is also really important. Uh, for these particular customers, there is no one true workflow. And so you can't, like everyone has a complicated workflow. And so what you kind of need to build is something which 
is powerful, lets you set statuses and pull things up according to those statuses, but doesn't have sort of a locked down workflow, right? And I think that first of all, they didn't really lay that foundation of talking to customers. And then second, they didn't send what they had, they didn't synthesize into um, actually understanding that everyone's workflow is different in, in this situation. So but you've got to prioritize to some people, otherwise you're going to be building something between Zapier and Excel. And that's going to be really difficult. Like it's going to be about Frankenstein. Yeah. Or... Right, right. Um, I mean, that's the challenge, right? Where um, I have to try to find a way of walking that balance of, I can't just ship a web version of Excel, right? That's not going to work. Uh, and, that, and that'll be a failure. But then I can't sort of ship like a locked down. Um, what I'm figuring out now um, is just what parts what parts of the flow are common and across everybody? Uh, like there's kind of fundamentally it's about approving and rejecting certain classes of items. And that's, that's common, right? You kind of want to drive this list of things uh, to either being approved or rejected. Um, and so that's the core of the workflow, but then how you actually get there, then that varies from person to person. And so figuring out which parts, are common, which parts vary. I think that's the trick of it. Uh, but do you do you prioritize? Like, do you actually look at the workflows and say, listen, let's just focus on these five or this three and get those to a certain level or not? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. So the, um, the, the client, they wanted everything all at once. I, well, that's what I, that was my impression. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, it's, it's just not really possible to deliver everything all at once that what we should do is we should break this project into phases and then uh, decide what's the most important things to deliver in the first phase, um, which for me, it's usually something around some type of end to end flow where it just barely works. You know, you can, you can get the job done. Uh, from start Keyboard. to finish. Yeah, yeah. And so I was able to get them on board with that. And so that's that's kind of the, the first piece that we're working on is just get this to, to barely work and then let's get this in front of customers. And there's it probably represents 20% of the planned work is, is this kind of MVP or this little chunk. And I fully expect that once we get that MVP in front of customers, that they're going to take it in completely different directions than what's sort of been planned out. And that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, so true. What do you feel like uh, a lot of times companies, product managers skip in their product development workflow? We talked about one thing, which is a, a very glaring omission uh, in uh, with this client. But in general, yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, that's that's a good question. What do, what do they skip? Um, or maybe don't spend enough time on. I think, uh, yeah. I, well, I would say either. Um, 
let's see, user feedback, iteration, uh, or looking at the numbers. Like, it's my understanding that at really, uh, at sort some of those big thing type companies, like uh, Facebook or Google, they're, they're really all about the numbers. Um, the places that I've worked at, uh, the B2B SaaS companies, um, they tended to be a little bit more sales focused and then they're not necessarily, are, yeah. yeah, they're not really looking at the, the usage stats that um, a lot of their business is making sure that they have features in place to win a deal. And then once the deal's won, you know, then, then it's the CSM's customer success manager's responsibility to keep the customer happy. And then the, because they look manager, at the RFPs, right? Aren't they competing on RFPs mostly? Yeah, yeah. Um, and Which is a different beast altogether. It's a different beast, yeah. Um, but then uh, usage can be kind of low, and everyone gets frustrated because usage is low. Um, but then the PMs are kind of incentivized, like, hey, well, for this next batch of things, you know, we, you know, we're competing with these guys, and we need to, we need to have certain features in place. And uh, I understand why why that happens, and I've been in that situation too. Uh, but I think that fundamentally the business is not going to be well served if you're putting out features and you're winning RFPs, but then the usage is really low on them. And so I think that the thing that's the, the thing that I've seen that's been missing is just going back to things that you've already done and seeing how well they're actually working out in practice and then fixing them, which but it's, it's sometimes it's really hard to do that yeah. you just don't get, yeah, you don't get the, the space for it. Time, space, like stakeholders, other projects, right? Yeah, yeah, there's other projects. And, um, you know, tech, technically or theoretically, you have that feature out there and it's sort of checking the box on the RFPs and the sales. They can sell again. They can sell. They can sell it, right? Um, and then the fact that it doesn't actually work that well, um, it's kind of a secondary concern. But... I guess that would that would be the advice um, that I would give to like the directors and the VPs of product that uh, it's not a it's not a good long term strategy that eventually it'll fail. Yeah, at some point you're going to have so many products, little products that uh, you it's it's a it's it's a debt right that goes into the future. Yeah, yeah, and it's not it's not like tech debt. It's kind of. Uh, Maybe it's retention debt, and hmm. and then you'll find hmm. that uh, customers maybe after a couple of years with the product, then they'll churn, and they'll churn because of something like, well, we got this product, and then we looked at our stats, and it turns out that no one really used it, and so then no one really loved it, and when it came time to renew, uh, you know, there's just no one fighting for it, just something like that, right? Um, and by the time you get to that point, it's it's really hard to fix retention problems. Because like, I feel these like... guys, these guys are betting on uh, on a relationship with uh, when you when they're selling, right? When they're selling to you an account, they're betting on a relationship yeah. with with a few people. That's really how it works. And then the actual end user, well, they'll just quote unquote suck it up for another year, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I remember I was working at a company. Um, 
this B2B SaaS company. And I think that there was a team of five product managers there. And I really wanted to talk to an end user. And it was extremely difficult to even talk to any any end users. And I think I had to do a lot of negotiations. And I remember uh, I, I got the opportunity to actually talk to an end user once. Um, it was something like I had to call this person and I left a voicemail message. And I remember I, I was interviewing like a PM candidate. And just before the interview with the PM candidate, this end user like called me and I had to make a snap assessment of like, would I rather talk to the end user or interview this candidate? And I was like, I'm going to talk to the end user because it's way harder for me to talk to the users than to talk to a PM candidate. And so I, I had to take that call. Uh, but I think in the whole history of the company, I was the first and only PM who ever talked to any end users. And, and I just did it once. Uh, yeah, which is kind of crazy, right? It is pretty insane. Uh, was it, did you find anything? Like, was it, uh, was it insightful? Anything you were able to, uh, to uh, extract? Yeah. It was, it was really, it was really, really interesting. Um, the, the use, like this person's use of the product was completely different than what we what we imagined right um we thought that the 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 um so i'm trying to it was really interesting i'm trying to find a way to talk about it without giving away who the who the particular client was but yeah um, like the 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 goal of the product was around kind of sharing news in sort of a social way and this particular customer this client what she was doing and her name was jerry uh she was actually sharing scheduling information for her team using the app and kind of what she had to do is like there was like a whiteboard and she would write the schedule on the whiteboard and take a picture of it and share it in the app and and distribute the information that way because of labor rules she didn't she didn't and couldn't have the email address or phone numbers of the people that worked for her and so if the schedule changed she had no way to get that information out um, prior to using our product to get the information out she was actually posting the information onto Facebook groups. Um, and like, this is like, this is a multi-billion dollar business. And then their management, like their middle managers would post schedules onto Facebook, like each, wow. each site. Yeah. Um, so like you'd have like a site in like Reno, Nevada, and then the manager would like take a picture of a whiteboard and post it onto like the the Facebook group that corresponded to that site. And so then instead she was using this product. And so that's what she used it for. And then the people who uh, worked for her, they really liked it because they were hourly employees. And 
they like the ability. Um, they were hourly and they're always like clocking in and clocking out. And there was something where if the schedule changed and they had to show up at 3.30 in the morning instead of 4.30, uh, sometimes there would be billing errors. And then they liked that they could actually like on the app show what the schedule really was. Um, anyway, it was, it was really wild, right? And But the point is like, what they were using the app for was completely different than what we thought people were using it for. Like a completely different use case entirely. Yeah, it happens so often, especially with uh, this uh, these dinosaur or these massive companies where uh, different divisions don't talk to each other. And uh, then you have all the compliance difficulties uh, that come into Yeah, dinosaur is, is really crazy. Um, like I, I was... I have been, and I'm still really surprised by these really large companies, like Fortune 500 companies or Fortune 100 companies, and they have trouble telling you things like, "How many employees do you do you have?" And they don't really know <laughs> because they have yeah. uh, ten different HR systems, and it has to like there is like some. Like there's a team of people and then their job is to run reports on legacy databases and get a CSV. And that's, that's how they transmit information is they get, they'll give you a giant CSV. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unreal. Yeah. It's, it's unreal how old or old school the, their ways of doing things are. It's unreal. Absolutely. Um, uh, Ida, yeah. let's uh, finish off. Let's finish off with a quick fireside question round just one sentence one word or two sentence just whatever comes to mind and if nothing then we'll just move on to the next question just a few what yeah product should people start doing tomorrow uh, what, what people should uh, what product people should be doing tomorrow to ship better work yeah talk to your customers and then your customers users if applicable what aspects of product development money can't fix? Oh, that's a good one. Um, yeah, I guess quality. Yeah, can't fix that. Would you at any point ask users what they want you to build? And when would you not do that? Yeah, I mean, by the book, you're not supposed to ask that. You're supposed to ask, what are your pain points and challenges? I think that if someone, but would I would I ever just ask that? Yeah, I can I can imagine yeah. situations like if they, if they were just paying me a lot of money, they're if they were paying me a lot of money and then they were being really vague or frustrating, then I'd just, then I would just be like, hey, just tell me what you want to what you want to build. At what point can you throw money at a product problem? what point can you throw money at a product problem? I don't know. I don't know if you really can or if it's really a good idea that if, if we're talking about a product problem, that means that there's some aspect of discovery, right? And to me, I think throwing money at something means that you sort of already made that discovery um, and then you're trying to scale, right? Scale. Like you can yeah. scale. Yeah, right. You can scale um, a sales org or you can scale marketing. 
maybe I think you probably know more about um, marketing than I do, right? Um, yeah. Like once you have that resonant, once you sort of achieve like product market fit, then you can really scale things. Before you've achieved that, I don't know if you can really throw money and make it go faster. Probably can't for the VCs, but pro uh, but uh, don't do it. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I guess if you if you wanted to, this 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 is supposed to be rapid fire, but I can't help it. If you wanted to throw money yes. at it, probably probably you'd have separate teams all focusing on the same problem. That might be a way of scaling it. So that way you have like twice the chance of getting product market fit. What do you believe that other people think is insane? Uh, what do I believe that other people think is insane? Like on a personal level or anything? Could be personal. Could be personal. Yeah. Maybe it's just easier. Um, it is kind of wild, but I think that there's like some universal consciousness and that we all, like our brains are kind of like radios and we kind of tap into it, which uh, I think that's kind of wild, right? Um, it doesn't make any sense logically, but that's something that I believe. Uh, well, we we could unpack that. We could unpack that in in the next episode because this is uh, this is I think personally quite a profound thought. Uh, advice to a thirty year old self. Yeah, advice to thirty, like to to anyone who's thirty or my past thirty. To, to, to you, to you. Um. Yeah, just don't stress out so much that everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Just enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the ride. What might you do to accomplish your 10 year old goal in the next six months? If you had a gun against your head, I think for me, just focus and say no more, That that's just a chronic problem that I have, um, just in my life. I always like to say yes, that I'm always like starting new projects and if I was really dedicated on like getting the the ten year goal down to six months, then I would have to not do much else other than just focus on that. Mm. Ida, this was a pleasure. Uh, any final thoughts, final messages? That something I maybe didn't ask you in this interview, but you wish I did, uh, or any final messages that you'd love uh, to leave product people with? Hmm. Not really. I mean, I think. Uh, you know, like talking about product stuff. I mean, we could go on for hours, but I really enjoyed being on this podcast. I think it was really awesome. Thank you so much for setting it up. And um, yeah, I hope uh, I hope the people who are listening uh, got something interesting out of it. I enjoyed it too, Ido. Thank you for, for coming. This was super candid, very casual, uh, the way that we like it, a very much uh, off the record almost style. Uh, product innovation show thank you guys for listening we will include all the links in the show notes you can uh, include uh, your LinkedIn profile Ida, so people can go ahead and connect with you directly uh, if they'd like and we'll be back with the next episode